Tom and Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the D in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your Tilo, Lorenzo, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you, lovely husband? Wonderful. And lie this time. Yes. <laughs> lie this time. Okay, I'm wonderful. There you go. Moving on. <laughs> now they're not going to know what we were talking no, about. Well, we, anyway. did a, we did an earlier take of this where I asked him how he was doing, and the answer was just a little bit too honest. And I was like, okay. just a little too confessional for a podcast okay a little uh, too much like a reality tv show yeah it almost it almost became like a true crime podcast there for a second no come on don't say that no it was just like you know momentarily the conversation turned very dark and you know what very understandable girl we we are living in times where sometimes the conversation goes really dark, but it was the worst <laughs> oh way God, to open no. up a podcast. They're, now they're going to think that I'm some horrible thing. No, 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 just, no. It was just, I'm just bored and I need to... Bored and stressed like the rest of us. It's stressed, yes. That's right. all. And then need to get out more. That's all. This is true. Don't we all? Yes. Um, it, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. That's actually very true. We're, You're wonderful we're, too. <laughs> no, no. I just... Um, it is a weird time. It's we're not in lockdown, and it no one's really talking about actually doing a lockdown. But it just feels like we're gearing up towards another. I don't know. It feels very liminal. Maybe not. Which is maybe one of not. my favorite words. I'm gonna go with maybe not. Maybe we're just. I, I don't, don't know. think so. I keep saying that I don't. I mean, we have to start masking up, and and people just need to suck that one up. And I don't know. I I, I you shouldn't listen to a couple of pop culture critics talking about you know public health crises and and making predictions but i don't think we're heading towards lockdown it's just um as someone who watches the culture we talked about this in this morning's tea lounge it's you know things slow down at this time every summer but there's just this weird halt Mm -hmm. um and it feels like everyone on, on that end of the um celebrity sort of influence sphere is just holding their breath for a minute to see where things are going. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm only speaking for myself, you know, um, but I think getting on a plane, fi- flying, you know, across the country, blah, blah, blah. And then when we came back, we were like, oh my God, yes, we're going to be traveling now mm-hmm. and all that. And then boom, you know, um, we can't do that right now. So well, that, we that, can. That, There's no well, restrictions on travel. True. Well, yes and no. But anyway, my point is that, you know, I came back thinking that, okay, we're finally there. We're finally at a point where we can, you know, right, uh, relax and do things. And then, no, then you're back to being cautious again. I'm not saying it's, it's as bad as it was, right. but you were back in, you know, right. kind of like in a we've, situation we've talked where we have about to be this. cautious. We're both vaccinated. We are both going to be first in line for those booster shots when they're oh, available. Yeah. Um, so we're not living in any sort of fear about... Um, well, certainly not in any fear about dying, and I'm not even living in fear of getting ill. Um, the I, the potential for either one of us to get seriously ill from COVID is very, very low because we are vaccinated. So I, it's not the same as last year, but it is. It's so weird. It just keeps lingering and lingering and lingering. This feeling that you just don't know what next month's going to be like. Right. Well, that's um, that, that's, that's very what true. it feels yeah, like. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I came back again from vegas and and saying oh now and you asked me um because we used the gym at the uh wonderful hotel anyway yeah. so 
you said, when, are you going to go back to the gym? Because we just loved being back at the gym. And then I said, oh, maybe, maybe September, October. And now I don't know. Maybe January. February. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely holding off on a gym. Yeah. We keep bringing this up. And I guess it's because it's what everybody's talking about. I'm, I'm much more concerned about um, the people I know who have kids in school. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yes. They're yes. the ones living a nightmare right now. And, um, you know, our little concerns about content or going back to the gym seem a little frivolous in comparison to, you know, parents who are trying to really figure this thing out and keep their family safe. Um, so, oh, I don't know. We're just in a weird time. I was never so naive to think as this was all going to be behind us by, you know, the end. Of, I didn't think that. Yeah, but when you think about it, it's almost two years. Uh, almost. Uh, since kind of. what? I mean, the vaccines weren't until... Well, yeah, the vaccines are almost a year. They're like nine months old. Yeah, but this thing's been going on since December 2019, I remember. Anyway, yeah. it's almost two years. Oh, hell. Anyway. Yeah, let's stop talking about that. I Another know. dark opening. I know. Well, you're the one continuing with the subject. Anyway, anyway, we're fine. I don't know what this... But this is what I was trying to say a few minutes ago. It's just... This is the way things are now. You think you're having a normal conversation. Suddenly everything turns towards pandemic or, you know, uh, right, Afghanistan right, right. withdrawal. You know... These are just the times that we live in. You just have it, 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 it just feels like you have to adjust all the time now. Uh, yes. You can't make plans and, and think they're going to stick. You know, and you, you because kind of, of like, that, yeah. this conversation is always on the forefront of our minds. Right. Everybody, every time I see right. someone for the first time, or if I haven't seen them in a long time, inevitably, it's like the first, if you're with them for any length of time, the first 45 minutes is all about COVID, what you did during lockdown, you know, that sort of thing. So, And it's just this type of conversation. Like, we're having friends for dinner, uh, very close friends and and i text them and i said uh we're vaccinated i don't know about you guys if you want to wait a little more or if you want right. to come now right uh it's always yeah that's that's what i mean it, it it you have to plan on a daily basis um anyway let's move on to more frivolous topics yes which is what we're all about here um two weeks ago well last week we didn't do a podcast sorry about that um but two weeks ago, our previous podcast, we did a fairly deep dive in reviewing Ted Lasso and um, The White Lotus and Schmigadoon. Yeah, yes. And Three so, amazing shows. Yes. Um, and in that time, I wish I had said this during the podcast. I don't think I did, because I always felt that a show like Ted Lasso was ripe for a backlash that was going to come. Um, Interesting. Why? Uh, let me just get to Yeah, okay, we'll, we'll get ready. I'll answer that question. I just want to say up front that we are not doing another review of Ted Lasso. No, That's not, not what we're doing yeah. here. But we are going to talk about the recent quote-unquote backlash against it and talk about backlashes in general and why I am so opposed to even the concept of a backlash that I don't think that such a thing even exists. Um, why did I think... Okay, why did I think Ted Lasso was right for a backlash? For the same reason, you know, any show that gets rapturous, rapturous reviews from critics and a ton of award nominations. Right. Especially, especially if that show is selling a certain image of um, soothing kindness and, you know, niceness and everything. Um and we can get into how some people are misreading Ted Lasso when they think it's all about this sort of... Um, Mr. Rogers, Bob Ross style figure, and that's actually not what he is. But the series, the show, um, when they have uh, like social media accounts and everything, and the way they uh, advertise and promote the show, it is all about how nice Ted Lasso is mm, and, and the aphorisms of Ted Lasso and that sort of thing. While at the same time, the show is very subtly 
trying to underline that there was a lot of darkness in Ted, that he has anxiety and depression issues, and that a lot of his um, niceness is a way, a way of controlling people. The show has been overt about this in the dialogue and subtle about it in certain scenes where they let Jason Sudeikis underplay things. Um, however, yes, I felt the show was ripe for a backlash because it... Um, I think I said this one in a previous podcast. The reason we're not um, covering the show is because uh, it's one of those shows that I feel is overwritten. Yeah, you said it's that written about way too yeah. much. Mm-hmm. And I've said this before. The reason we stuck with Mad Men for seven years is because we actually got in on the ground floor of that one. We were reviewing that show before it got overwritten. Right. And then we made a name for ourselves, and then it became a thing. Same thing with Drag Race. Same thing with Project Runway. There's so- the shows that we are associated with as as recappers, critics, reviewers are always the ones that we got in on the ground floor. Right. Um, when it gets... I am not interested, and I wasn't interested in covering this show when I read all the reviews of it, which I don't disagree with the reviews. I have said in the previous episode, and I'll say again, Ted Lasso was a good show. It's worth people's time. But as we said in the previous episode of this podcast, it's one of those shows that I don't recommend to a lot of people because... If you're cynical or if you just don't respond well to that sort of feel-goody stuff, um, you're just not going to like it. Um, like certain me. people, di- yeah, and certain people didn't love Shit's Creek for that same reason. Right, they exactly. didn't love The Good Place. They didn't love Parks and Rec because those shows had a certain gentle sort of positive comedy to them. Uh, and, you know, there needs to be room for that in the discussion of a show like Ted Lasso. But... I could tell that because it engendered such good feelings in so in not just the fans, but also the critics, it dropped in the middle of a pandemic in the middle. It was last summer when it dropped. We made this point last episode. Do I need to draw a map of, of the summer of 2020? <laughs> Black Lives right. Matter, you know, protests all over the right. country. The um, presidential election was in full sw- in full ugly swing, and we were on you know six months of lockdown at that point with no no end in sight. It was a bad time, and that was when um, Ted Lasso dropped. And a show like that, of course, right. of course, the response was going to be rapturous. And I've said this before, we are going to look back on um, COVID culture. And some of it we are going to cringe at. Right now, the, uh, we are coming up in a few weeks on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And there is this unpacking right now of how the culture reacted 20 years ago. Um, there was a th- viral thread that went around on Twitter of Disney channel promo stuff that was so ragingly war you know it was warmongering you know patriotic stuff and this was the way the culture was post 9 11 right and there's a lot of unpacking of that and cringing at how how the cult and i think the same thing's going to happen with but it's probably not going to happen for a very long time who i'm not suggesting that ted lasso won't survive a critical re-examination in five or ten years but i do feel that a huge part of the show's um critical success because we made this point last time with the show doesn't have high viewership numbers uh it's just very critically acclaimed and got nominated for a record number of emmys all of that is a prime reason why the uh, something that everyone likes to call backlash is going to happen i know when a show is that rapturous and i felt this way about ted lasso I always felt there were things worthy of critique in the in the setup of Ted Lasso and the way Ted Lasso operates. Most first and foremost is for a comedy, it's rarely ever made me laugh. Mm-hmm. It's very gently amusing and pleasing, 
but it's not funny, funny. <clears throat> Pardon me. But I never, I mean, I could be an asshole. I could be someone who, uh, the type of writer who like invites that kind of um, vitriol that you're going to get, you know, I could do it for the click, so to speak. And I could have written some critique of Ted Lasso at the height of its rapturous reception. But I didn't want to. I was like, I, you know, the the reading the room and everything. And maybe this comes down to I don't work for an outlet. I I am. We are the outlet. Right. So we are so the we, brand. We pick and choose. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. It's there's a certain level of. Um, it's not that we won't critique things, but it's a matter of whether we want to invite certain kind of reactions. It's, we always ask that question: Is it worth it? Is yeah. it worth it? Um, the, sometimes it, when you are the brand, when you and your platform are the brand. Doing it for the clicks is not a great idea because over time, like I'm sorry, I I hate ragging on him just because he is in his own way a pioneer. But uh, look at Perez Hilton. I'm you know if you, if you brand is entirely on outrage and clicks, I'm sure he's doing fine financially. I can't say that he's in any sort of ruin, but his brand is ruined. Like he is just not respected at all. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about where you try and avoid that kind of blowback because you just wind up ruining. And to me at the time, it was not like, oh, I need to tell the truth about Ted Lasso. It was more like, yeah, I'm not tackling that one. I can tell if we if we write something critical, the overwhelmingly negative response is just going to not have been worth it for us. Outlander. Do you want to talk about oh Outlander? My God, Outlander. Yeah, I'm going to be quiet for a second. If you want to run down what happened, no, with it's Outlander. just Outlander. First of all, Outlander. We didn't read the books, and and that's the thing. My God, if you didn't read the books, you know, you doomed. You were constantly <laughs> informed that you did not read. And the that's book. true of any show. It's not just the yeah, yeah, yeah. Outlander. Bridgerton but anyway, fans but, but are the same some, way. Some fans, some readers are more aggressive than others. Outlanders are out there, um, way, way out there and up there. Uh, but. It was just insane because we we wanted to talk about the costumes mostly, and then we end up talking about the episodes and 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 you know we we actually liked it uh, and the fact that sometimes you you know people have to understand that and and it's hard to explain that to some people that you don't have to read the books to enjoy a show or or you I don't am have opposed to, to the idea right, or you don't have to read the books to to have your opinion valid, you right. know, uh, you still have an opinion. An adaptation needs to stand on its own two feet. Right, exactly. You always say that, and I agree. So, uh, and we interviewed the costume designer, um, you know, we Terry did... Terry Dresbeck? Yes. Uh, so, it was great. It was going really well. She loved our coverage, and anyway, she even talked about it with her husband, the creator, right, or director mm -hmm. of the show. Anyway, it was going great, and then, of course... It, it starts getting out there that we're doing it. And then, my God, it was just insane to control uh, the negative reaction uh, towards anything that we had to say that wasn't what they were if thinking. It simply wasn't yes, rapturous exactly. praise. Yes, uh, yes. You came in for just, uh, you know, attack after attack, waves of attack from fans. Because I, what would happen is they would go back to fan forums on Reddit right, right. or Tumblr or whatever and inform us, infor not inform us, inform each other that. There are these guys who are blaspheming. Tumblr and blaspheming the holy yes. Tumblr. Text. I remember Tumblr. Yeah. And yeah, everybody needs to go there. And yeah, and I don't need that kind of <laughs> bullshit. I just don't. Um, and it gets personal. You can ride that. Like I said, you can ride that kind of right. outrage and make a lot of money at it. Like I'm not a. You know, it's not. It's more like, well, what kind of life do I want to have? What kind right. of reputation it's do I want to have? It's not that we can't take it, but it's just like, do we need to take it? That's yeah, the question. Yeah, I didn't love Outlander enough uh, to deal with that bullshit. Right. We got a ton of emails, like horrible emails. I mean, you have you guys have no idea the language and and the threats and all that. And then 
<laughs> and then what else? Uh, oh, I mean, oh, and then they would go to our page and look for pictures of us, and, and then like, or they, they'd go to Amazon and leave reviews for our book that was yeah really clear that they never even read it. So they just go around looking for ways to destroy us. <laughs> there are reviews of this podcast. I know, I know. We're you know, but anyway, anyway. So, That's just the nature of the business, but right. with, with Ted, uh, with Ted Lasso, it really wasn't important to me. And I, it's not that I feared some sort of backlash, like oh my god, they're going to attack our website or whatever. It was more like, yeah, I don't feel like having to constantly defend right. the idea that right. I don't think the show is perfect. Now I want to put a pin in that, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about my socks because you uh, know I love yes. talking about my socks yeah. on this show. Um, and if you've listened to this show for more than two episodes, you probably know that my favorite socks are Bombas, and they are sponsoring this portion of the podcast. I literally do not own other socks anymore. Mm-hmm. I have the dress socks. I have the athletic socks. I have the footy socks. Yes. They're all... I have the wool socks. I have the holiday collection that you got me last year. I did the pride collection this yes. year. I, well, I'm telling you, when, I, when no, it comes to Bombas, I it's literally true. walk the walk and talk the talk. <laughs> okay. Lots of things can make your workouts hard. Extra resistance, double speed, one more mile. Your socks shouldn't, though. That's why Bombas Performance Socks are built to be nothing but comfortable and supportive. Bombas Performance Socks have taken all the amazing innovations that make Bombas the most comfortable socks you've ever worn and added their special Hextech performance technology. Bombas Performance Socks are stitched with special moisture-wicking yarn and temperature-regulating vents that allow cool air to flow in and prevent overheating. They come with a pillow-like tab to save you from blisters, stay-up technology, a special arch-hugging system, and an extra layer of cushiony comfort on the bottom for the perfect amount of support. I know this might sound a little weird, but they are the best designed socks I've ever... You don't think that socks are designed, but of course they are. You know, there is design. In, in, right. And then when you get a pair of Bomba socks, not to sound too rapturous here, but when you can actually see the design. You can see how it was thought out. They come in different styles for every sport with specific design features to help you optimize performance and keep you comfortable no matter what you're doing. And like all their socks for every pair of Bombas performance socks you buy, they donate a pair to someone in need. They've donated over 45 million pairs so far. So go to bombas.com slash T-L-O today and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash T-L-O for 20% off. Bombas.com slash T-L-O. Thank you, Bombas. All right, so Ted Lasso. Um, And again, I'm not getting, I'm hoping we don't get sidetracked into a critique of the show because, ugh, boring. Um, It's all getting kind of dull and annoying out there. What happened is over the weekend, um, a writer named Daniel Radosh, who is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, Radosh, Radosh, he is the senior writer-producer for The Daily Show. Uh, and I think that may have been part of the reason why there was such a, a response to his his tweet thread. But there was this, he posted this tweet thread that the first tweet is how Ted Lasso lost the thread. And then he goes on for about, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 more tweets explaining all of these critiques that he has for the second season. They are thought out. They are supported. You don't have to agree with them. But it wasn't like this show is garbage and no one can, you know, he actually took a writer's approach to critiquing a show's writing and, right. and how it's coming across. I don't agree with every bit of it, but when it, he first posted it, I think it was on Saturday morning, I did retweet it and said, you know, I think this guy is largely right. Uh, his main critique was that the show lacks conflict, and over time it it remains harder and harder to stay invested in characters in which there's no conflict. Um, this threat exploded. 
because again, it was going to happen. And my response, when I really got turned off by the whole two things, (laughs) one, one of the responses to his thread went viral, and it's probably going to wind up being a meme for some time. But it was this woman who said something to the effect of the reason you can't handle Ted Lasso, it's because it's a show about men going down on women and making their needs first and kind of link. I mean, there's a kind of link scene in one episode. Um, but that's literally not what the show is about. But this response became uh, sort of an example of how uh, ridiculously over the top the fans of the show can get. Mm-hmm. I actually saw a response, and I'm actually glad it didn't go viral because I'm pretty sure this was a teenager. But someone uh, responded to him and said, you know, threads like this are literally killing trans teenagers. Like, that's the kind of ridiculous over the top response. And like I said, this was a supported well thought out. It wasn't some sort of all caps. You know, he I, I didn't agree with probably 25 percent of it. And I do think he's missing certain things in the sense that there is no conflict between the characters. But a lot of the characters are having an internal conflict um, to which I will say you can't base an entire season of, of television on characters who are all having internal conflicts. Those internal conflicts need to clash. Otherwise, right, you're not right. telling a story. Uh, that's what Mad Men was about. Every single person on Mad Men was having internal conflict constantly. But the stories arose out of the idea that those conflicting agendas and personalities right. exploded against each other. Ted Lasso is taking a very like low-key approach. And there is a lot of talk from critics who have seen more screeners that it is going to address all this stuff down the line. Um, Again, uh, I keep getting sidetracked and talking about the show. My whole thing is I hate that television critics reacted so badly to this guy's uh, thread. Um, People who write about television for a living, people who write for television reacted terribly to this guy's thread. I'm not naming any names. Really? Yeah. And it really, I'm like, God, I really like your work. Why are you getting mad at this guy? Like, why? And it was all like, can't we just enjoy things? It's a kind hearted show. And if you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. And I'm like, isn't it your job to critique television? You can't say to someone who makes a living doing that, doing whatever, you know, can we just enjoy this? You can't, you can say, you can say that to a friend. You can say that to your husband. They're, if they're both sitting, you know, if you're watching a TV show with your husband and becomes an asshole, his comments are horrible and you love the show. You can say that to your husband, you know, like, you know, can you stop? I'm enjoying the show, but you can't say that to a critic. That's his job. You can't try and shut down or dismiss conversations that you don't, you don't like and as I a think critic. That's, I think that's the problem with social media in general is that there's not much room for thinking uh, or or nuance or, or yeah. anything or underlying anything. It's just, I like it, I don't like it. And then you, t- you take a position and then... But what's you know, appalling is this, uh, this conversation spilled out way past... That's the reason why I wanted to do a podcast this week. If it had just been some Twitter fight, it would not be an interesting conversation to me. But think pieces were written and within de- a day or two vanity fair had a piece up gawker had a piece up right. and it was uh vulture had a piece up and i think if you were to google ted lasso right now the word backlash would automatically fill in because that's all anyone's talking about is the backlash it's not backlash it's simply criticism like right, sometimes right. shows don't do things that invite critique right and you can 
say that this person doesn't get it. You can say that you disagree with their whatever. But the idea that critique is off limits, that critique is out of bounds, because why can't we just enjoy a nice, kind-hearted show? And I will say this, without getting too far back into the Ted Lasso weeds, it's not a nice, kind-hearted... I mean, it is, but these there's a lot of damaged people on that show. I thought that was really clear. And if, if your response is, you know, Bob Ross and Mr. Rogers, well, then I don't think you get the show at all. It's You're going to be really disappointed when Ted finally has his, you know, snap, when he finally goes into a full-blown depression, which maybe that's not going to happen, in which case I really will criticize the show. But I am just opposed to this idea of, and it's, to me, uh, it's um, and it, you're correct. I think social media fuels a lot of this, but I think social media has bridged fan culture yes. with critical culture. Yes. So now with there the are actual people doing yeah. the thing. Yes. So people who have yes. very good jobs writing for very good publications. I'm really not going to single anybody out because I respect them. Um, uh, really reacted badly to the idea that there were criticisms of this, and this was like almost nearly across the board. That's why I'm not really singling any one person out because a lot of critics were saying this. Like, you know, can't we just enjoy the show? And this is, it's, and just dismissing it as disgruntled backlash instead of criticism. Whatever you want to say about that guy's thread, and I am returning to this thread because it is cited in every article about Ted Lasso. Everyone decided that this was ground zero of the quote unquote backlash. And actually, I want to introduce the next point, which is, I think part of the reason why everyone decided this was the threat mm-hmm. is, again, this guy is a writer for a tele- yes. uh, respected television show. And what happened is Bill Lawrence, who I think is the producer, showrunner, writer for, um, or one of them, for Ted Lasso, responded to this thread on Twitter. And it was so wounded. wounded. Yes. yes. And I, I was it. so revolted by that. <laughs> yes. I'm like, okay, I guess maybe because you feel this guy is a colleague and he called out your show. But again, this this thread was simply a listing of things that he felt the show was doing wrong. Not, he wasn't calling it trash. He wasn't, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, Bill Lawrence did this response and it's, I think it's only a couple tweets long, but it was, it was defensive and wounded, and I was really turned off. And that's when I was like, you know, we're doing a podcast about this, because this is so wrong, the way mm-hmm. everybody is reacting. Um, and this is not a Ted Lasso-specific thing. Like I said, we t- this happened to us with Outlander. There are certain shows where, oh, I think we did talk about this, where Joyce Carol Oates came out with a tweet a couple months ago, and she said the dialogue on Mad Men wasn't all that memorable, and I actually happen to agree with her on that. It's not that the dialogue was memorable, it's that the performances of that dialogue were memorable. Anyway, and the critical response from television critics was just furious. And I'm just like, what the hell? That is your job. You don't have to agree with this person, but stop acting like Joyce Carol Oates, of all people, is some... Granted, I do think she knows how to troll, troll social media, but she, you know, give her the benefit of of right. treating her critique like a critique she's earned that right i i, I agree i th- i think it, it it's a very difficult place now it's it, they're difficult waters to navigate i think now that you have as you said you have the players you know with access to social media mm-hmm. and they can talk and they mm-hmm. can type without the support of a pr person telling them not to do it and they do it and you see that a lot i mean we just saw uh, Lizzo um, because she got a, a ton of backlash or, or, or criticism 
for her video and then she went on and on and on about it. and the, the the thing is that, and then she was defending herself which is right she had the right to defend herself because what happens now with social media is that they they don't just attack the art they attack you as a person that's uh, my that was my next point and that is just awful so they were after her talking about her weight and, and her, the way she looks or whatever so they just go after the person and it gets very very nasty and the the main point or whatever started the whole thing just disappears and it becomes this big mess that you don't even know what you're talking about anymore right. um and i hate that and i think she's right there but at the same time you have to just put out just put something out there, uh, art form, and then just let it stay there and don't have, you don't have to respond to everything, to every criticism right. Right. Um, that's out there. You just can't do it. Or worse, I'm not saying that's her case. I'm just saying, but you see that a lot. You, what you do is you, you, you send a tweet, you, you post an Instagram uh, message, and then you, what you're doing literally is just you inviting your fans, you telling your fans in a very subtle way, right. and sometimes not, uh, to go after the person who's criticizing you. Right. And that's just horrible. Right. And you see that happening a lot. I mean, that happened to us. I don't want to get into details again. Yeah, and that's... I, I, uh, I again, mean, I, but, yeah. Personally, I'm more interested in the critical community. I mean, fandom is its own thing, and it's a mess. And I do feel that, like I said, a lot of the way critics react now is because they become sort of infected by fandom. Um I feel like a lot of younger critics came up through fandoms before they landed legitimate criticism right. jobs. And sometimes they take some of that stuff with them into their professional, you know, I don't, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm, I don't know. TV critics should be able to stand up to some criticism. And I, and I know a lot, we we're friends with a lot of them and we follow a lot of them on social media and I'm pretty sure some of them listen to this podcast. So I hope I don't insult anyone when I point out some of this stuff. One of the things I really don't like about, critics on social media is the way they interact with celebrities of their favorite shows, producers of their favorite show, you know, and they will just banter with them on. So right now there's like banter with, with um, between TV critics and cast members of Ted Lasso. And I'm like, you know what, if you're getting paid to critique this show, I think you need to step back from kissing their ass on mm -hmm. social media. There's a reason why we're not friends with any drag race uh, we're not friends with any of those people. And there's a reason why we stopped being friends with anybody on Project Runway years and years and years ago. There are celebrities who follow us on Twitter, celebrities we've met at Fashion Week, with which we've had friendly conversations. Never followed up on any of that because I don't think it's appropriate for us. Right. If I'm going to critique their outfits or I'm going to critique their television show or their movie or whatever, um, I, I can't be colored by that. And I'm always surprised when I see like, high-ranking, you know, people in, in major, major publications just kissing ass with, you know, some TV sitcom star on social media. I'm like, yeah, that's not really your... You really shouldn't be doing that. Um, and I think sometimes that that does affect their... Uh, you, and you also have to remember a lot of these people who write about these shows get to do all the things like the TCA tours and the press events and everything. So they sit down with people like Jason right. Sudeikis and they, you know, they banter with them and they ask him questions and they start getting very defensive when that show, you know, gets critiqued. I think it has a lot to do <clears throat> in this case. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it was a thread as opposed to a piece he wrote. Uh, the attention you get Maybe. a lot more. You get a lot more attention if you if you hashtag something and you have a huge thread about it, right? Especially if it's some sort of criticism. Um, I think that's why. I mean, Doreen St. Felix is the critic for the New Yorker, a television critic, and I really like her writing. And she wrote a piece earlier in the month for which she came in for some 
minor backlash. And it really started exploding this week when people seem to have discovered her essay, but it was called Ted Lasso Can't Save Us, I think. Yes. And it was actually a really good assessment of Uh the show. Um, It was not particularly negative, but there was an acknowledgement of its shortcomings as a show. The Mm -hmm. fact that... Um, you know, the a lot of the feel-good stuff is uh, not to everyone's taste. It, it can often fall a little flat, and it is low conflict. It's just nice things happening to nice people who feel bad about themselves, but there's not a lot of jokes, and there's not a lot of conflict. Um, given the show's uh, rapturous response and reception, that I think it's 20 Emmy nominations, it is actually appropriate for there to be a conversation among the critical community about whether or not the show has shortcomings and acknowledging those shortcomings. So that's, I think, why I find this so revolting when I see culture critics and writers reacting so terribly to any sort of negative negativity about the show. It's like, yeah, I'm sure you can go on anywhere in social media and find people who are just being assholes about your favorite show and whatever. But why are you always citing these rather well-thought-out critiques and calling them backlashes. Like, that's not a backlash, that's a critique. That's right. the part that really, really bothers me about this whole thing, is that it shows a certain sort of uh, emperor-has-no-clothes uh, moment for the critical community, in the sense... And, you know, this is a good thing to be reminded of, is that they're all people, and you have to take their responses and their thoughts about certain things with a, uh, a certain great assault. You build right. up... When it comes to critics, you build up a a sort of a portfolio of the ones you trust the most. That's how I've always felt about critics, about television, movie critics, literary critics, just cultural critics. You build up your own personal portfolio of the ones you trust the most. Um, And, and, you know, that's how you approach criticism. And I think part of the reason why I am being so outraged about this is because some of the people I really do trust the most, I think, reacted badly to this. Yeah, I I think... Within the community, um, TV critic, uh, critics community, I think there's also that too. There's it, it, you see that happen every now and then with the show, and um, you see it, it's sort of a wave. They go one way only. There's groupthink in every group. Yes, and, and then critics it, don't like to hear that, but they, they are susceptible oh my to God, it. Yes, I see that happen in the social media all the time. Yeah, <clears throat> and because we have, excuse me, <clears throat> because we have access to uh, screeners just like them. I watch a show and I and I can see it was like all right this show is going to get this kind of reaction mm-hmm. from certain people and then you see you kind of right. know where where that's going to go right. as opposed to you know just people watching the show uh there are all kinds of reactions and I think social media is bringing all this together right and it's kind of difficult to navigate as I said because um you have fans on Twitter reading this stuff mm-hmm. and they sometimes I don't I don't think they can uh, I don't think they understand that this is a TV critic as opposed to another fan. Right, right, just, right. Just no, they never understand about, that. They don't. They don't understand the difference. Um, and I get it. I guess that that's just how people react on 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 social media because I read a ton of, uh, uh, and I think it's getting a little worse because um, now you see even magazines like Vogue, uh, Elle magazine, Marie Claire, all these magazines writing pieces about TV shows now, like uh, TV has become the thing that everyone is writing about now. Well, I don't think that's... No, but it's even more, because I go look for articles, you know, uh, for, the, for the Lounge Post every day, and I see, I mean, every magazine now has a, has a piece interviewing the actors or interviewing somebody right. and talking about the show. 
Um, so I think the, the discussion is, is bigger than it used to be, I think. And then it adds more people to the conversation or the fight. I agree. Is there anything else I want to add? To the, well, oh, yeah, I wanted to bring up the White Lotus because that's another example of oh, yeah. the way critical thinking can go in a direction that I really can't, I just strongly disagree with. Um, the final episode of the White Lotus aired and it became a big topic for two or three days. Uh, I, I wrote a thread on Twitter, examining the actions of the gay male character Armand and trying to explain them to people as from the perspective of a white gay man, middle-aged white gay man. And that thread kind of went minor league viral, got a big, a lot of response, because people were taught, wanted to talk, it was one of the shows that people wanted to talk about. And unlike right. Ted Lasso or a lot of other different shows, it the White Lotus hadn't yet become over-discussed, it, because interest in the show built up as more and more episodes aired. I right. think when the first few episodes aired, the only people that were talking about it were TV critics. And then by, I remember being on, uh, in Fire Island last month and saying, hey guys, do you want to watch this show? The critics are, and I couldn't get anyone interested in it. And then our friend David like texted us like three weeks later and he was like, oh my God, I'm completely addicted to it. And I think that was true for a lot of people. Right. So uh, it's one of those shows where the interest peaked just as the last episode aired. Um, and so, and so the, com- and the discussion yes. and the conversation peaked as well. And there was, um, I'm not going to use the term backlash. There was critique of the show. Uh, and I think the show is wide open for, there's, you can come at it from a lot of different directions. It mm-hmm. is a dense text, which means there's a lot you can pull from it and a lot you can talk about and a lot you can critique. Right. Um, and most of uh, a lot of the critiques that centered around the uh, finale of the show was the fact that it did center all of the white protagonists, all the wealthy white mm-hmm. people, and it sidelined every person of color in the story or just shunted them aside. And you didn't even see them. Um, absolutely true. And um, it, the show creator, Mike White, even addressed this in a couple of postseason right. um, interviews and talked about his own perspective and how limited it is. And, you know, in writing about white privilege as a privileged white person, there's only he felt there was only so much unpacking he could do right until he was getting further and further out from his own perspective, like it or not, it is white privilege written from a white perspective. Um, and you can you can look at that and say, I have no interest in that at all and, and not watch totally it. Fine. Absolutely. Right. Or you can look at that and then really pick it apart for how limited it is. Um, all of that is fine. But this is what happens. The conversation took a turn, which was uh, not just attacking the show, but attacking the audience. Right. And you will see this a lot of times among critics, certain types of critics who approach work didactically. They want the work to teach a lesson to the audience. And when the audience doesn't get the lesson, they attack the audience. And so there were all these tweets from people who um, who said that, you know, like white people, and they were, there were articles actually, who said that, you know, white people couldn't understand what the show was trying to say about white privilege because you don't, you know, if you're watching satire of yourself and laughing at it, then is it good satire? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's actually the definition of satire. Um, and again, I'm not even critiquing those, taking issue with those thoughts, but I really take issue with the idea of criticizing an audience for not watching something the way you think it should be right. watched. Right. That is not cultural criticism. That's not television criticism. That's social criticism. And hey, if you want to get into that, that's fine, but you're getting further and further away from 
kind of what people are reading you for. Yes, you you don't walk into a museum and criticize someone for not interpreting a painting the way you think they should. Right. Um, you you can add add to the conversation. You can add your piece, your your perspective, but you can't simply criticize someone for not seeing things the way you do. Yeah, I remember when um, I think it was one of the first times I really encountered this in a big way that made me start looking at television criticism a different way was when uh, spoiler for Game of Thrones. I'm giving you a couple seconds to fast forward uh, when Joffrey choked to death in Game of Thrones when he was poisoned and he died. And there was all, of course, that that character was a complete monster. He was responsible for all sorts of rapes and killings. And Mm -hmm. he was just a horrible person. And he was played by a teenager. He was, I can't remember how old the actor was. He might not have been underage, but he always looked it. He looked like he was 14. Um, And people cheered when he died because that, you know, we had watched several seasons of this character be a total shit. And I can remember several critics took this very sort of didactic approach, which was you really, as an audience member, need to examine why you're cheering on the death of a child and whether this is appropriate. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like, children have died in great literature going back thousands of years. Like, are we getting to a point where you're going to make this, make the consumption of art a moral thing? Like, how how you respond to art has a moral component, which I guess... I don't know. That may be a little bit too deep for this podcast to unpack. But I do firmly believe that is not the role of a television critic to critique the audience for not getting it in the way they think it should be gotten. I agree. Um, When you critique a work, you have to take into consideration how it is being received by other people. And you don't have to agree with it, but I also don't think you should dismiss it or shoot it down. You have to accept that, for instance, Ted Lasso is seen as Mr. Rogers by a huge portion of the show's fandom. Personally, I think that is completely incorrect. Um, But I'm not going to write a piece or have a podcast telling them that they're, they're, you know, morally whatever. Go ahead. And again, social media is bringing all these people that you don't know, you never met in your life, but you're reading what they're saying. Right. And um, the other component that I see often now, because of social media, you have to understand before you talked about a show with your co-workers with your friends and your family members you didn't now it feels like you know someone out on the street just you know approached you and started talking about it uh, that's how social media feels sometimes but my point is the other component that i see now it's the outrage because which is fine you're expressing your opinion but it gets very loud because of social media um you're outraged because the characters didn't go the way you wanted them to go and i saw that a lot with the uh, white lotus um, well, these characters didn't learn anything or, you know, all the, um, or, you know, I wish the, um, the non-white characters, you know, had a better ending and, you know, that right, type right, of right. stuff. You see that a lot and, and I, I get the criticism, but you have to understand that that's not the choices that the uh, creator made and you kind of accept it or not as a show. Um, I see that a lot and I also see a lot of, um, creators, um, getting too much influenced by by the opinion and social media of things. Yes. Um, and and whether you like it or not, it 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 affects your creativity. It affects uh, how you do things because you are automatically thinking about the reaction you are going to get on social media, and I think that's terrible for art in general. Right. I agree. Uh, that's one of the things that you know. Maybe I don't know. So you know, Twitter's been 
you know, all going on for war, what, more than 10 years, right? 20 years. I don't know how many years. I mean, it's not like they're going to learn. They have no. to learn. And like I said, this is, it's bigger than social media. It is an intersection of fan culture and critical culture that social media is fueling. Right. And social media is very good at taking um, everything, boiling it down to a binary and getting people to fight each other. Yes. So, I mean, that's basically what that is. Um, There's also uh, a lot of competition out there, I think. With, again, with social media, you see a lot of critics uh, t- uh, writing a piece against the green just so that people can talk about what they're writing. Um, it, it, you see that a lot. Like, everyone is going one way and then one critic. Well, will... those are the really clickbaity articles. Yes, where yes. It's, oh, you see that a lot. The, you know, it's people who are, are very open about the fact that I am going to stir up outrage by right. poking a bee's nest. And you know what? There's even a place for that. And um, I think people who really love something and find that sort of thing annoying or anger-inducing or even offend, just let it go. It's always got Someone's always going right, to be poking right. holes in something you love. I think like, this is all good and manageable. I think the only issue, the major issue that I have is that we're still, we still haven't learned how to deal with disagreement uh, on social media. I think the reaction. Well, that's never happening. I think the reactions in general are way too aggressive, are way too bad. I mean, sometimes you write something, you know, just the most basic thing. You know, I like ice cream, and then someone will come and yell at you right. uh, in a way that you like. Whoa, you know, it's just it. It. I think we 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 could learn. We we should learn how to you know respond in a more I don't know polite, more interesting way. Uh. Agreed, but I think we have milked that one. Yes. All right. Um, Kittens, we'd love to hear what you think about everything we just said. Uh, It's not really a critique of Ted Lasso so much as as it is a critique of a culture that can't allow critiques of a show like Ted Lasso. So I would love to hear people's thoughts on that. I don't have too much to say about the next show we're talking about, which is oh, Nine yeah. Perfect Strangers. Yes. You completely forgot. You thought this was over. I completely over. forgot. <laughs> but I actually don't have... We just wanted to address it because we're watching we it. Are Nine watching Perfect it. Strangers is on Hulu. It's Nicole Kidman. Uh, she's working with David E. Kelly, who produced and wrote her previous two um, Johns on, on TV, which were The Undoing and Big Little Lies. So she is sort of returning to her her... TV roots again. I mean, she's really establishing a TV brand. She is, which is great. I like it. Um, no, I think there's a lot of um, diminishing returns on this brand. And I think uh, the uh, Nine Perfect Strangers is probably... Well we'll, well, we'll hash this out. Nine Perfect Strangers is on Hulu, and it's based on the book by Leanne Moriarty, who wrote Big Little Lies. Again, she's sort right. of gathering all her eggs in a row, uh, Nicole. And it stars... Uh, it has an pretty big cast. Melissa McCarthy, Michael Shannon, Luke Evans, Samara Weaving, Manny Jacinto, Bobby Cannavale, Regina Hall. Um, and it's... Uh, I tend to agree with um, Alan Zeppelwell, the critic for Rolling Stone, said, it doesn't, as a show, it does not benefit from debuting the week that The White Lotus ended. Right. It's kind of the same white problems. Um, it's not. It's not. In a way, it It's is. about wealthy people at a, at a spa in a tropical setting. But, and this is why I think it doesn't, it didn't help to come right after White Lotus. It's not unpacking anything deeper about privilege or anything like that. There's not a lot of deep themes here. In fact, this is sort of a pot boiler. It's sort of a mystery where it's going to go and people have secrets and it's very much in sort of in the big little lies mode of everybody having secrets and, and this sense of impending violence. Um, 
And uh, they're all playing very colorful characters. Nicole Kidman plays this guru um, named Masha, who was supposed to be a Russian woman, although she is sporting the worst. I mean, <laughs> the accent's so bad that I keep saying, well, are, is she? Is this a put on? Like, we're going to find out right. that this character really isn't Russian. But then there's flashbacks and she still has the accent. So I don't know about that. Um, but, you know, it's a bunch of different people who are there for different reasons. They all have secrets. They all have pain in their lives. And they all go through this controversial treatment that this guru was putting them through, part of which is dosing them with drugs. Um, that's a little bit of... That's not that much of a spoiler. Um, yeah. I don't... I, it's just sort of sits there on a plate for me, the whole thing. And I, and it's really jarring because that is a cast of... That that cast should work. That I mean, Melissa, Michael Shannon, Luke Evans, Regina Hall, that cast right. should be sparking. There should be so much energy popping off that. So that was part of why Big Little Lies worked is because that group of actresses, put you put them together and sparks flew. Right. I think the problem with, uh, to me, the problem with this show is that it doesn't really know what what it wants to be. I don't know. Is is this some comedy uh, um, slash horror show? Well, or, it's sort of like Big Little Lies. It was comedic, you know. I, I know, but it's weird because sometimes I'm watching it and I'm I'm making fun of it, but at the same time, I'm right. like, they start talking about themselves, and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So it, I don't know. It's all over the place to me in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and the dialogues are not that great. Um, this the setup is interesting. Um, I don't know. If, it feels like something bigger is going to happen. We're not there yet, right? Um, but I, I'm I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's not terrible. I'm enjoying it. Um, that is about as tepid <laughs> a, a recommendation as you could make. But it, yeah. I mean, as you said, they're they're it great. It just sits there for me, right? I'm going to watch it all the way through to see where it ends, but. And everybody's, you know, it's a pretty cast in a pretty setting. And, you know, it's always fun to watch Nicole try and tackle some accent or something. Michael Shannon's always good. But it, you know, I don't care about the people. I don't care about what secrets they have. And like I said, coming right on the end of White Lotus, which, as I said, was a dense text. There was a lot there to unpack and unravel. I don't feel that this is dense at all. This feels like a beach read. And that's not bad, but it's not, it doesn't feel like prestige television to me. Right. Um, um, it, it, it feels yeah. like a Lifetime movie. It, it feels like an eight-episode Lifetime movie with a lot of big stars in it. Yeah, like I said, I don't really know what it is. Is this some cheap horror um, kind of movie or, you know what I mean? Like, well, the, I don't know where you're getting horror from. I don't know. Maybe something horrible is going to happen. I don't know. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just all in their heads and I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's tension to it, but I, it just isn't working for me. And I, I think the fact that we can't even work up a conversation about this show is all that we need to point to and say, yeah. The, I, personally, I can't recommend it. The cast is great. The location is beautiful. Uh, apparently, they shot the whole thing in Australia. Yeah. Um, you know, you give it a shot and let us know if if you watch. Well, I just it. said I can't recommend it. Oh, but, but you know. Well, I'd say watch it. I'm always saying, like, try it for 15 minutes. Yeah, and if you I don't mean, like it, then... To me, uh, I'm just waiting for it to end. And I'm not telling someone not to watch it, but I'm saying I can't give you a reason to watch it aside from that cast, who are... Everyone's good. I, like, Melissa, everyone's good. Like, there's no bad performance. But it's just, there's no... The characters aren't interesting. And the, whatever conflicts there are arising so far, I'm just not invested in. It's It's... it's it, like I said, it's interesting because they're they're going 
pretty much every episode going one by one talking about their past and their demons and everything about each character. So that part I find I find it a little interesting because the performances are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interaction, the dialogues, uh, I feel that they're weak, that there's not much for them to interact when they're by themselves or just with one another actor right. or with Nicole Kidman. Um, they unpack certain things that I find interesting. Okay. The only other thing I'll say is that uh, Melissa McCarthy's wardrobe is amazing. She looks fantastic. Oh my god, and she's fantastic. She she she's does great these in the role. Yes. Yeah, I mean she's absolutely great as this. Again, I don't feel like she's pushing herself. Like that's not a hard role for Melissa because she's she's this very savvy, smart sort of. I don't want to say wisecracking woman, but she's sharp, and I, that's usually her best take. Her and she best gets character. very. Um, uh, she plays emotional characters really, really well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, she does a very good job. When she I, gets vulnerable, it's yes, very affecting. Yes, and I think she's doing a great job. I do, I do. It's not that... I, I really cannot point to an actor and say, that person's terrible. It's just the overall production and the story to me has not... I've watched four full episodes, and it has not generated any interest. And I think um, part of that is because we are um, right now there's an onslaught of screeners that have come our way for stuff that's debuting in a couple of weeks or in a couple of months. And some of it's actually very good. We're not allowed to talk about any of it yet. But I th- like every night I'm watching some screener for something that's going to air next month. And then I'll, I'll sit down. Go back to this. And, and then like, I'll, why? <laughs> I'll watch this. I'll watch Nine Perfect Strangers. I'm like, yeah, I mean, maybe I'll just wait until it's all over and binge the whole thing. So... Uh, yeah, I have a very tepid response. I can't say anybody's bad in it. Um, and the cast is pleasurable to watch in its own way. But the story is there. I just don't think it's interesting at all. So far, there's not a lot of story. Um, yeah. Uh, individual stories about each character. And, and if you're interested in that, maybe you'll like it. But there's not like a whole story in terms of what's going to happen to all of them or, or, or whatever uh, with Nicole, uh, Nicole's character. We it's all up in the air and it's a little yeah you just sit in, you just watch you know you sit there and wait for something bigger to happen agreed i believe we have unpacked everything yes. we wanted to unpack today yes. we would love to hear whatever you think about whatever we just said and until next week when we come back with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks uh stay safe love you mean it bye-bye love you